Hi guys, uh, my name is Coyote. Um, as, as Andy said, I've been here for a year, um, well, coming up to a year in November, um, worshipping with like these guys here. Um, and it's been amazing. I, I mean, I know I've been a blessing to everyone here. And it's, um, and it's, no, I mean, sorry, you've been a blessing to me. Um, and I've really enjoyed my time here. But um, yeah, we're currently in the book of Acts um, and we're doing a mini-series on Stephen. Uh, last week, Danny, um, sitting over there, um, did a, um, a study on, on, on Stephen and um, the way he served and specifically him serving widows. Um, this week, I'm talking to you about him as the evangelist um, who engaged and enraged those around him concerning who Jesus was. Um, so for anyone here who, um, I suppose, follows Jesus, there's much we could learn from him. Um, I suppose this in who he is and how he lived. And if you're not a Christian, um, his story points to the more compelling story of, of Jesus, um, the God-man who turns um, history upside down. Um, I was going to read the passage, but it was already done for me, so um, I'll just jump straight into it, which is pretty cool. Um, so for anyone who's, who's had the opportunity to, to read through the book of Acts, it's one of um, church explosion and expansion. It's where like the first group of um, believers in the church um, basically shared the message of Jesus quite rapidly, and um, as a result, the gospel spread through um, Africa, the Middle East, um, and eventually Europe, um, all through people basically talking about Jesus, um, this Messiah who, would, um, who had come, who had been promised, who would take away evil from the world um, and, and make people right with God. Um, so near the beginning of Acts, in chapter 2, we find that the, um, the Spirit is poured out, um, as Jesus promised. And you have one of the disciples, Peter, who, who basically goes and tells Israeli Jews um, in Jerusalem about Jesus, basically communicating the message of the gospel. And later on, you have Paul, who, um, after his dramatic conversion, starts sharing the gospel with Jews, but as well Gentiles, uh, non-Jews, people like me and you who, um, who, don't, who didn't know Jesus. Um, but in between those two figures, you have like this sort of unsung hero, um, Stephen, um, who, um, I mean, despite only four chapters being dedicated to him, he's probably one of the most remarkable men in the Bible. Um, I mean, uh, if it wasn't for him, he's partly indirectly the reason why we're upstairs in a pub uh, singing songs to Jesus 2,000 years later. Um, he's quite a big deal. Um, and it was probably Paul who witnessed what Stephen was doing. At this, at this stage, Paul was um, not a believer. He was, um, he, was, he was actually someone who persecuted the church. And it's quite a good chance he was probably here witnessing what Stephen was doing. So Stephen's life was uh, definitely quite powerful. Um, so whether it was um, Peter preaching to Israeli Jews or um, Paul preaching to, to Gentiles, uh, Stephen preached actually to foreign Jews, um, people who were Jewish but not rooted in, in Hebrew culture. Um, so he had sort of a special, specific mission, it seems, on, on his life. Um, and it was an immensely important part of uh, the Great Commission, where Jesus tells all his disciples, or his followers, to make disciples of all nations, uh, first where they were, and to go out and, and do so for the rest of, in the rest of the world. But what makes Stephen so remarkable? Because, I mean, um, in the passage, it seems that, you know, not many people responded positively to his message. Um, he ends up being killed. Um, and no, nobody becomes a Christian as a result of it. It doesn't sound like a success story, does it? Um, I mean, uh, looking in from the outside, he looks like a bit of a, a religious nut who gets himself tied up with some zealous Jews and ends up getting killed for it. It doesn't seem that amazing. But surprisingly, it acted as a catalyst for the church bursting out ac 
across um, the world, and it scattered, the church scattered out of Jerusalem and into the surrounding areas and, and continents. So I suppose the question for us today is, what made Stephen so uh, unique, so special, and so uh, powerful um, that we're all here partly thanking him for what he did? Um, well, it seems simplistic, but God was at work by his spirit. Um, we can provide loads of explanations for why um, Stephen or the, the early church grew, and people who are not Christians may think of loads of sociological reasons why things happened. But when you look at stories like Stephen's, uh, stories which, against all odds, um, the gospel still managed to pull through, it, you can definitely say this was of God, and um, it was by God's spirit. So, um, clearly times have changed since first century Israel, um, but in other ways, we still face the same challenges. Um, we probably live in what we call a post-Christian country, um, so um, there are loads of people who essentially don't believe in Jesus. And it's quite funny because over 100 years ago, it was places like London which sent missionaries across the world to places like Nigeria, where my parents are from. Um, and through that effect, loads of people have become uh, believers in Africa and, and Asia and, and, and the like. But obviously today we know, and it's been like this for a while, um, the rhythms and patterns of our city don't reflect Christ. Um, on one hand, you have um, abject poverty and people in uh, cycles of crime and and, uh, and hopelessness. And then on the other hand, you have people who work themselves ragged, people, the sort of people I share the tube with each day, actually, who work themselves ragged for treasures and pleasures which are meaningless now and will become meaningless when they die. Um, it's, it's quite sad. And we also know from our friends, um, they, they live... Um, the foundation of their lives is, is, is for anything but their creator, isn't it? Sometimes in quite legitimate things, like... Um, family, relationships, social justice, but then on the other hand, the more destructive, um, like sex, money, power. Um, people need Jesus, and um, this is why we share him, because uh, he, he saves us from death and condemnation. He, um, he allows us um, a purpose and, and meaning in our lives, and he changes us from the inside. So um, I think there are basically four things which I've got um, which stand out. Um, apparently, I've only got 30 minutes, but I, I told Andy, you know, when the Holy Spirit's moving, you can't bottle it up. So we're going to see what happens. But um, yeah, so the first, the first point I've got here is um, God's grace and power. Um, Luke describes Stephen as being filled with, with grace and power. Um, I suppose the, the obvious question for us is, um, what does Luke mean by, well, firstly, grace, and, and how is he full of it? Um, for the Christian, uh, grace is... Um, God choosing to bless us rather than curse us for the sin that we deserve. It's his benevolence towards us. It's his uh, kindness, blessing, favor towards people who, who don't deserve such treatment. Um, and it's something we, we come to know as Christians when we, we first come to know God. But it's something that takes hold of our whole lives, grace. Um, it's what we need when we, we wake up and we go to sleep. Um, there's grace in suffering, as Paul found out, where he prays to God and asks for for an ailment to be removed three times, and God responds to him and says, my grace is sufficient for you. Um, and then there's obviously grace and persecution, which we may not experience here, but other Christians do, where um, in the darkest moments, God can still provide um, hope and, and blessing to them. Um, so clearly there's grace in a lot of these situations, but I don't think um, this is what Luke is referring to in this, in this passage. Originally translated, I've done my homework, um, it can be translated into loving kindness. Um, the loving kindness he had received from God, he now wanted to um, communicate to others. And it's clear from his character, we learned last week when Danny was speaking, how um, he was already serving widows. He, he clearly loved people, and it, this was the sort of heart he had. 
But um, in here we see that um, he has a love which um, extends to the point where he wants to communicate God's truth to people. Um, and this is how he wants to love people even more. Um, and we can see there's no ill motive here. This is not, an, about, this is not a chance to um, win an argument or um, get one over on his opponents. Um, this is just a desire to communicate God's love. And it's funny because when you read on, um, when he eventually dies, um, he asks um, God to forgive those who have, who have killed him um, or who are about to kill him. And it's the same, in the same way Jesus does the same um, when Jesus hangs on the cross and he asks um, those, the Romans, or he asks God basically to, to forgive the Romans and the Jews and whoever for being implicit in his murder. So he was just like Jesus, where we would all want to be. Um, being made right with God and, and understanding God's forgiveness and reaching out to others. But um, how was he full of such grace and, and loving kindness that he could um, extend it to a, a bloodthirsty mob? Um, it's clear it's nothing that we can manufacture of ourselves. Um, humans don't do this naturally. Um, but I think we find a, um, an answer in the earlier verses. In, in verse 5, he's described as being full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Um, in, in Ephesians 2, I think we read it earlier in, in, during during when we were singing, um, Paul proclaims that it's by grace uh, you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. Um, It's by faith Stephen could experience God's loving kindness. Um, He believed the promises of God that, um, as his sermon goes into in chapter 7, that God is sovereign over history, um, that his life was in God's hands, that the the lives of those that um, he was preaching to were also in God's hands, and he could trust God fully, and therefore he he could love fully as well. But where does this love come from, the sort of love that motivates a person to um, not only care about someone's physical needs, but um, about their, their spiritual needs and their souls and their eternal destinies? Um, a love that could um, ask for God's mercy upon those who are about to murder you. Um, it's different from the world's love, isn't it, which is based on um, uh, emotions, feelings, what we can receive and get from people. Um, I think this love could only and, and does only come from God. Um, the verse also goes on to say that he was full of power. Uh, Luke tells us that he was performing signs and wonders, uh, astonishing uh, those around him. Um, up until this point, whenever signs and wonders is being mentioned, it's only either Jesus or the apostles. But now we have a relatively normal, well, relatively normal by New Testament standards, Stephen, who is now busting out some you know extracurricular stuff. It's it's pretty it's pretty amazing. Um, but of course, later on we find that Philip. Uh, does the same thing in chapter 8, um, another of like, the chosen seven, um, where he, he performs signs and wonders, and then afterwards the crowd listens to him intently to hear what he has to say. So it's clear that during this period anyway, whenever Jesus was being talked about, miracles were happening, people were being healed, and importantly, people were coming to believe in Jesus. Um, and where was this coming from? Well, verse 5 again shows us it was the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised. Um, although Stephen was a remarkable man, um, it was only by the Spirit that he could do this. And Jesus promises us uh, this Spirit to everyone, all of us, me and you. Um, he says in, in Luke 14, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another ad- advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And at the beginning of Acts, before Jesus ascends to go back to the Father, he says, uh, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, the, the same spirit that was working in, um, in Paul, in Philip, in Jesus, and has worked centuries past in people like um, the Wesleys and the Methodist movement, which, which exploded, and 
um, Charles Spurgeon uh, and the renewal of the gospel in London, or William Wilberforce and the abolition of slavery. The same spirit that's worked in those people is available to us today, um, and, and which allows us to um, draw away from sin and our old lives and towards God and uh, loving him more fully. Um, God has intervened time and time again in history, and he will do so again, um, and he will do it through us, his people. Um, while it does not necessarily mean that we'll do exactly the same things that Stephen was doing, um, I think we can trust that God will, will show up, um, that he will change people's hearts, um, and he'll work in me and you to, um, to do his work today. Um, and we've just got to open up, and I, I, I think our prayer has to be that, um, God, would you work in us like you have done in the past, that you've done in, in past generations? Would you do it in us? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you, um, would you, would you let us obey your promptings? Let's, let us just be open to God's spirit, basically, and ask that he would work in us. So, all right, we have um, God's grace and power. But secondly, I think what we can see is um, opposition. Uh, unsurprisingly, opposition arises against Stephen um, uh, as he talks about Jesus. In verse 9, Luke tells us that um, the well, different types of Jews, they, there's a, quite a good list here, uh, rose up and disputed with Stephen. Uh, the foreign Jews that Stephen was... Um, debating with clearly found his message quite repulsive um, they, they raised their objections they, they said he was wrong they said he was blaspheming God um, and they thought their short-sighted view of God was correct and similarly today we find the same in London don't we people raise their objections to Christianity intellectually and quite emotionally uh, people say well, we live in an age of science tolerance equality um, and the, the message of an authoritative God who apparently loves us, but calls us to obey and love him, just doesn't sit right in our society, does it? Um, I think personal autonomy is king. Um, I rule, um, I'm God. Um, I'm the captain of my own ship and my own destiny, and it's people put themselves as, as king um, and not Jesus. And although the reasons why people may reject Jesus may be very different from uh, the Jews in Stephen's day, the human heart never changes. We're naturally uh, rebellious against the one who, who loves us and, and wants to uh, and wants us to, to love him. Um, but their failure in debating Jesus quickly turns sour, um, a, uh, turns to slander and insult. A smear campaign begins, and if you carry on reading, um, Stephen gets accused um, and uh, seized and eventually killed. Uh, John Stott, the Anglican clergyman, um, a couple of years ago summarized how this is actually how opposition happens generally. Firstly, you have a, um, I don't know, a, a debate about ideas or theology. That degenerates into insult and slander and then eventually violence, which we may not experience here, but other people do. Um, opposition is, is a given. And I think I saw this in a small way. Um, I, there was no violence in this story, but I think I saw this in a small way um, a month ago in my workplace. If you're in my life group, you probably know this story anyway, but I thought I'd say it again because it's quite relevant. Um, our beloved pastor, Andy, uh, wrote uh, an article uh, about abortion quite a strongly worded article, a blog article. This was after the whole Planned Parenthood stuff, um, which, if you don't know, was this big story about um, babies being, well, aborted babies and their body parts being harvested and sold. And it was, yeah, quite a disgusting stuff. But uh, Andy writes this article condemning the whole thing um, and, and quite emotively and quite correctly. Um, and it's, it's lunchtime at work. I like the article. Um, I walk back into the office, and then there's like these guys waiting for me, because they've clearly seen what I've liked <laughs> on Facebook, uh, and they're like, hey, Odie, what is this? What are you getting yourself involved in? 
Um, and it, it led to a quite a heated debate. Um, their, their faces were going red. I mean, I was, I wasn't, I was under pressure, but you couldn't see it, but I was still under, <laughs> under quite a lot of pressure. Uh, and, and it was like, yeah, it was really intense. And then it turned sour again when, um, I don't know, insults just started to be thrown. And these are people I get along with quite well. A bit of context, we, we discussed Jesus quite a lot, so we disagree on a lot. Um, and eventually it got to the stage where they called Andy a monster. Like, the most loveliest, kindest guy in Kennington <laughs> is, is being branded a monster. And I was just like, this is just surreal, and it was weird, and I just I backed out a bit. Um, but I suppose after, I thought it was just this occasion that sort of hit home to me how, um, as Christians, we, we're very different from the world um, in matters of, of birth all the way to death, in terms of marriage. Um, everything, the way we see the world is totally different from the world's. And I think that plays out um, in the way we interact with people, and I suppose opposition is to be expected. But I suppose in another sense, um, I thought about this, and I thought about a lot of my, my friends, and um, Often it's not that they're foaming at the mouth to get rid of Christians or that they, they particularly hate Christians, but there's just this depraved indifference. They, they don't care. They don't see the need for Jesus. They don't, they don't see the need of a saviour. They don't think they've sinned. Um, they're quite happy getting along with us. They're quite, they could live with us. They, most, of us are, most of them are, are our friends, but um, they don't care. They don't see the need for a saviour. Um, there's different types of opposition, clearly. But what provides us with assurance and hope um, that through opposition and, and marginalization that Jesus is with us, is firstly, Jesus, is, Jesus promises persecution um, and actually says it's not a bad thing, which is interesting. Um, I know we've been going through the Sermon of the Mount, so these verses will, will be fresh in your minds. In Matthew, Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you and, and, and falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Uh, for so they persecuted the prophets and those who were before you. And then in John 15, again, Jesus talks about how if they hated me, they will, they will hate you also. So don't be surprised. But it's funny because I think Stephen knows this and his response is courageous and bold. Um, they even accuse him. They say, you know, um, in the face of opposition, they accuse him. They say, he never ceases to speak words against his holy place and law. Maybe because of the way life was structured around the temple, I don't know. Um, they were clearly in, enough, in close enough proximity with Stephen to see that this guy didn't shut up about Jesus. Um, he just c- continued talking. Um, it was the very essence of who he was. Um, he loved Jesus, so he shared him. And I think it's what we do as human beings. We share what we love, what has um, captured our, our minds. Um, I suppose um, before and after this service, many of you will share... Uh, places that you've been to this week, where you've eaten, um, what, you've, what books you've read, the coffee you've drunk, after this service, how amazing Coyote's sermon was. Um, you, you'll say, you'll, you'll talk about stuff that you love and find amazing. And I think it's a human trait. We, we share what, what has captured our minds and our imaginations. And it's the same with Jesus. We share who we love. We share him because he has captured our minds and our hearts. And he loves us. And we love him. It's, it's part of who we are. Um, but I suppose a, a question which dogs my mind, and, and perhaps has dogged some of you, um, is the question that we find a lot in our society, which is, um, well, let's put it to Stephen. I mean, wasn't it arrogant and intolerant of him to impose his religious view on uh, those around him? Um, um, I'm surely he was a gracious and loving guy, but it just seems a bit forceful. And it's quite a prominent um, view in our society, isn't it? Especially in London, we live in a place where people have loads of different faiths and have no faith. Um, And it's quite a a secular point as well. 
the understanding that, you know, as we can't, as the, there are people of different faiths and we can't really agree on what we believe in, um, let's all retreat and um, come to a space where we can all just agree on stuff, on, on poverty and on social justice. Let's all be nice to each other and let's leave religion and doctrine at home. I mean, after all, um, we're, you all believe the same thing, don't you? It's all the same. But I think um, for the Christian, this is quite problematic. Um, it's actually impossible to do this. I think there's an arrogance in this view which assumes that there's a neutral ground that we can all retreat to, but the Bible says that there is no neutral ground. If people are not worshipping Jesus, they're, they're worshipping something else and it's ultimately destructive to them. Um, and, and yes, there's an arrogance in that view. Secondly, um, it assumes that we can't know the truth. It accepts the lie that we can't know who God is, um, that God hasn't sufficiently revealed himself to us, that, um, he, that, um, that we can't know the truth. And I think it's a lie. When we look at the Bible, when we look at Jesus, when we look at history, when we look at the church and we look at each other, we, we can see his faithfulness, we can see his goodness, we can see how he has acted and we know he's true. Um, so I think it would be wrong to give in to that pressure. But I think ultimately, I think the implications of what we believe mean um, we, can't, we can't be quiet. Um, the American comedian, uh, and he's a strong atheist, Penn Jillette, uh, talks about, um, he's a strong comedian, atheist, involved in loads of like skeptic societies, similar to like the humanist society in England. So he's quite, he doesn't, he, he says there's no God, so he knows there isn't a God. But what he said here was quite interesting. Um, after one of his shows, um, he met one of his audience members backstage um, who told him how great he was, how much he loved him, um, how much he thought Penn was a great comedian and you know, how much of a great guy he was. And then he gave him a Gideon Bible. Um, and, and Penn, he said, you know, this guy was actually quite a genuine guy. And normally when people talked about religion with him, it's quite forced, a bit Mormon-like. It's a bit, you know, awkward. Um, but here he, he, he found that, like, these guys were just really honest. And, 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 well, this guy was very honest and loved him and gave him a Gideon Bible. Um, and then he says this, um, I really don't respect people who don't proselytize um, sharing their faith. If you really believe in all that heaven and hell stuff and you think that it's not really worth sharing this out of social awkwardness, well, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible but not to tell them that? If a truck was bearing down on you but you didn't know it, I'm going to tackle you. Um, this guy was a real nice guy. He was honest, he was saying, and he cared enough about me to proselytize. And then at the end of the passage, or at the end of the, the recording, he says, I, I still know there's no God, though. Um, which is quite interesting. But I think an atheist put it, puts it better than I could. Um, if we really believe the implications of what we believe, um, I think it would be wrong not to speak out and not to tell people of a loving saviour who has created them and wants um, them to know him intimately and to, and to live for him. So I think having in mind that Jesus promised opposition, um, we should expect it, um, and that we should ask for courage and boldness for God to help us in, in quite socially awkward moments or quite dangerous moments for ourselves. Um, but whilst, of course, Stephen went in headstrong, um, he was, and he was filled with God's power and was clearly quite zealous, the third thing which stands out is his wisdom. Um, when we get to verse 10, it says, um, well, we can see that they could not withstand the wisdom with which he was speaking. I mean, it's obvious by the way Stephen talks that um, this was a guy who knew his Old Testament um, he goes into chapter 7 and he lists the history of the, 
of, of the Old Testament and the prophets and all this stuff. And it's a guy who, who knows what he's on about. And he knows how the Old Testament pointed to Jesus and what that means for the future and how important Jesus was. And I think there's a small challenge for us in this, too, that we, we take grasp of the Bible and we understand it with our minds as well as with our hearts. I think it's not only pastors like Andy or theologians like myself who um, can, we need to grasp these big truths. I think it's all of us who need to um, grasp what the Bible says and um, what it means. And I think in the culture that we live in, um, society is asking loads of big questions. That isn't, um, I think society is. Things like sexuality, um, identity, um, what it means to even be human. I think um, society has questions. And I think God has the answers. And we, we point them to Jesus. We point them to, to God and um, how everything they desire is found in him and not what they're currently involved in. Um, so I think it's important to, to know what we believe and, and how to articulate it. Indeed, when Peter is writing in his epistle to, um, to his Christian friends, he says, um, always be prepared to, to make a defense for, to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and w- with respect. And I don't think it's only for us spurting out information. Um, I think God um, wants us to know him fully, intimately, for ourselves, uh, so that our minds can be filled with the majesty and wonders of who God is um, and how great his love is. Um, it's interesting to note in Peter's letter again, he says, you know, um, I pray that uh, you grow in grace, but also in knowledge, that they would fill their minds with, um, with God and that that would spur them on in greater devotion to him. And I think it's the same with us. Um, we don't do it just to, just to say things to people. We do it for us to know God more um, and to, for us to understand who he is. Um, but clearly, while um, knowledge is great and knowing about God is great, I don't think Luke is referring to that sort of wisdom in this passage. Um, this was something powerful, um, above human reasoning, that um, goes beyond anything we can manufacture ourselves. Um, and it's something Jesus promised. Again, he, he, Jesus seems to know everything. Um, in Matthew 10, he tells them, when, when the time comes to you to speak, God will give you the words. You aren't the one who speaks. The spirit of the Father speaks in you. Um, while, um, while he tells his disciples again, I will give you a mouth of wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. And this isn't about polished arguments or being eloquent or sounding great. Because Paul, when he, when he speaks to the Corinthians, he says, I'm really proud of the fact that I came to you and I didn't pro- proclaim anything with high wisdom or lofty words or pretty speech. Um, I came in fear and trembling. The great apostle Paul came fearing and trembling. Um, his aim wasn't to use persuasive language or any clever techniques there was no agenda it was simply to proclaim the power of God and to let them know that so their faith wouldn't rest in in him or his clever arguments but it would rest in God Um, and and we can't argue people to faith clearly but there isn't there's a space for obviously discussion and there's a space where God's wisdom comes in and there's only words that he can give us to speak to people um, which is really important um, so while we push to, to know God and, and understand him as best we can um, and give those gentle answers to society's tough questions, um, even in our weak, inadequate state, God will give us the wisdom we need um, in, in, all, in those times when we, we need to speak up for him. Um, but um, I suppose what wisdom was he um, communicating? We get the gist. He was basically saying, you know, believe in Jesus um, and, and, and trust him as your saviour. And, and be right with him, which is all well and good. But in verse 14, they, they accuse him of saying, um, we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place. 
and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Um, for anyone who's aware, the concept um, of the temple to Jews today is quite a big deal. So you can imagine back then the, the sort of um, furore which Stephen probably caused by saying what he apparently said. But I think in the same way as Jesus' words about the temple were misunderstood, Stephen was misunderstood. Um, Jesus talks about the temple and he, he says that, um, he makes quite a claim actually, he says, um, I will destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. And obviously Stephen was saying something quite similar. Um, but obviously I think if we took that literally, it doesn't make much sense. What Jesus was talking about was himself, that he would be the new way to, to God, that people would no longer simply have to congregate in temples to worship God, but people would worship God through him and he would be the, the new way. And same again with the law. Um, Jesus, talks saying, Jesus says that he, he hasn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Um, so these people misunderstood him. But even though they misunderstood Stephen like they misunderstood Jesus, I, I still think um, the implications of what, Jesus, what, what Stephen was saying were still huge. It still changes everything, doesn't it? How we, how we live, how we see the world, how we see God, how we, um, how we see ourselves, if Jesus was indeed God. Um, and in the same way today, when we tell people about this free gift, it changes everything, doesn't it? Laying down old desires, um, submitting to, a, to authority in a culture where authority isn't really... People don't like authority in this culture, to be honest, but the authority of God is paramount. Um, and even though in our society there is a misconception of what it, follows, uh, what it means to follow God, on one hand, um, people have in their minds a legalistic, judgmental picture, and on the other hand, a granddad who gives you everything and doesn't demand much from you. But even when properly grasped, the gospel is still really costly, isn't it? Um, it's still tough. When Jesus, was telling people to, when Jesus was telling people what it meant to follow him, some walked away and they said, we can't, who can follow this hard teaching? This is ridiculous. Um, people said, I can't, we can't do this. And it's the same today. We, we share a message with people um, who think that this message is actually quite foolish um, and quite ridiculous and doesn't make much sense. Um, and finally, and I, I thought I'm, I'm a lot quicker than I thought I'd be, but it's, it's, not, it's not bad. Um, uh, God basically um, shines through Stephen. God promises his favor, his blessing upon Stephen. And in the last verse, he says, And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Um, we can see that God was with him, standing with him in the midst of quite a terrible situation. He's alone. And the promise that Jesus gave that he would be with his um, people till the end of the age was quite evident on Stephen's face. And in the heat of the trial, I don't know if people would have noticed, but this same thing actually happened before in the Old Testament with Moses. Moses comes down and with the, with the, the Ten Commandments and um, his face is radiated with the glory of God. It's, his face is literally shining. Um, and can you imagine being there or being Stephen and knowing that the God of the universe is with you. Um, it, something special is clearly going on. And I think he's probably the only guy in the New Testament to have actually, like, shone. Like, I think Jesus shone a little bit, but Stephen, Stephen shines. His face is shining, and it's pretty amazing. Um, and Jesus had become, or Jesus, Stephen had become, like, the very man they accused him of blaspheming. He'd become like Moses. He, in the same vein, he, he was radiating the glory of God. And in the same way, we are God's light and salt in the world. Um, we stand out. Um, and I think this is why maybe we, our faces won't shine literally, but we are to shine and to show who God is.
And in the same way, God is with his people and, and steps out in a dying world. Um, I think it's easy to come away from this account um, feeling slightly burdened um, and maybe a bit overwhelmed by how amazing this guy was and, um, and what he did. And it's true because it's tough. We're quite weak. We're frail. We lack much faith. Um, but because of what Jesus has done, um, it changes everything. I find this so inspiring, but he calls us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, sons and daughters of the living God. You are known and loved. Um, the Bible talks about if God is for you, who can be against you? If these things are true, then I would encourage you to go to God in prayer um, and he, asking him to give you the grace, the wisdom, power and love to um, share what he's done to the world. And again, to pray to him, go to God in prayer and ask him, um, do what you've done in centuries past. Do it in me. Do it. Do fill me with your spirit. Um, let, let your will be done. Let me see my friends get saved and my family members who don't know you. Um, let me see society be changed by the power of your love. Um, that's my notes are finished, but I think that's that's what I need to say. To, need to say basically that um, that you go to God and ask Him to fill you again and. Um, Look at what he's done in the past. Look at history. Um, it's on your side. Uh, and um, he's a good God and um, he won't fail you. So thanks for listening. Thank you. Cheers. Oh, I'll, I should pray, shouldn't I? I will pray. Um, uh, Lord, thank you, for, um, thank you for Grace London. Thank you for all the people that have come here today and, and heard me speak about you, Lord. And I pray that, um, I don't know, they, as the week goes on and... Um, we go back into the monotony of everyday living. I'm sure most of my son will probably be forgotten, but I, I pray that they will remember this, Lord, that you are with them always, um, that you will glorify yourself through them, and that slowly you will become like, slowly they will become like you. Um, and I pray, Lord, that you would give us the wisdom, the grace, the power to uh, communicate your message to a dying world and a world which needs you desperately. Lord, I thank you for all these people, and I, I thank you so much for the opportunity to do this. Um, amen.